Thanks for joining us today on the LaunchPoint Church Podcast. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error and useful for every part of our daily lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. For more information about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, as well as visit our website at www.launchpoint.church. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the message. Uh, Today we're going to talk about awakening the power of true worship in us. Uh, There was a time when we had no reason to rejoice or even have the confidence to do so because we were destined for destruction. And that destruction came at the onset of our sin where Adam and Eve in the garden uh, were in this perfect utopia, paradise as we know it, just them and the Father. And at the middle of the garden, we all know the story, most of us, for those who aren't familiar, there was a tree in the middle of the garden with the knowledge, bearing the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve took that fruit and obtained the knowledge of good and evil. And for that, God said, now surely you will die. And there was a separation. There was a removal from that paradise, a removal from the garden, only to then become hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of not knowing what that must have been like. We don't know what that was like. We have reconciliation, which is our hope, but imagine on the the BC part of the cross, worshiping and calling out to God and hopes that he would hear us, but we couldn't because there was a divide between us. We were unable to commune with him, be intimate with him, to share or exchange our thoughts and our feelings or what we're going through. There was, there was no way for him to hear us or to, to speak with us because we had severed that connection to the Father. And it reminds me <clears throat> of, uh, this is a marriage thing, so y'all just kind of, don't amen too much, but... Um, in marriage, I have a covenant relationship with my wife. I wear my ring. I exchange my vows. I said, you are mine and I am yours till death do us part. And there's a lot of, that's that utopia. That's that paradise moment where you, ah, marriage, yes. But then, you know, maybe you go a couple months. You go a year. You go a couple years. You go a couple decades together. And along the way, there's, Friction. Moments where you're, you were walking this way together and the next thing you know, this person has done turned about face, is staring you down the windows of your soul and is telling you how right they are and how wrong you are. I won't say what the stats are on the amount of times I've been right versus wrong. But all I'm going to say is there's a way to load the dishwasher and there's a way to not load the dishwasher. And let me go ahead and say I may or may not contribute to the actual act, but I have opinions and I stick to them and I know what's right and what's wrong. So that's where we end up finding ourselves in an interesting situation where we wrap ourselves in our pride and we say, I'm right, you're wrong, and let that try to bring comfort to us as we get comfortable on a couch for the evening. So that's what this was like. Instead of a harmonious relationship where there's 
intimacy, because I would much rather not have those moments, right? This is where you amen, men in the room. This is where we, yeah, it's right. I don't need to be right. This is where, this is where I would much rather have my best friend. I would rather have my, my mate and my partner in Christ to shoulder things with me, to hear me, to let me safely express concerns and fears and worries and, and have a closer connection than when we oppose each other. Though I, would, I know everyone in this room would rather have those moments than, than the other. And in regards to God, we were unable to do that, though. We were opposed to him. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says this. Because the mind set on flesh is hostile toward God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This was the state of our worship. This was the state of our existence, our relationship with him. But we didn't come here just to say what we were. I would love to celebrate with you that that time is no longer. Amen? Amen. And let me tell you right now, I said it all services. Let me say it again. I got an ADHD brain. I am hyperactive all the time. I am well aware of the fact that I was staring over here, but he just took a drink of his bottle. And I, I need you to tell me a little something, even if it's, you suck, man. Like, I don't care. Let's just interact a little bit. Let's, let's keep, the, keep the energy up. Can we do that? Uh, that was a great opportunity to say what you felt. I'm glad you didn't say anything negative. I appreciate that. Thank you. That time is no longer, church, because God promised and has delivered a new covenant to us written in the blood of Christ. In that covenant, we have been given the spirit of God so that our heart has changed and our mind has been renewed. And having done so, he promises to remember our sins and deeds of lawlessness no more. That is cause for some worship in this place. That is cause to say, thank you, God, for the work that you did. Let me read that to you where, and prove it to you where he said that. Hebrews chapter 10, 16 and 17. This is the word of the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their hearts and on their mind, I will write them. And as if bridging the gap between him and us wasn't enough, he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. No more. We just sang that song, how great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain that I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and I spoke your name into the night. We were unable to get to the Father, but he says, I'm gonna write a new covenant on their hearts and on their minds. And I'm gonna remove from my mind and my heart the lawless things that they have done. He took that chasm and he built a bridge through the blood of Jesus Christ and reconciled us unto him. And that is the covenant that we live in today. The blood of Jesus gives us our confidence to, to go to him. The blood of Jesus gives us a covering that while with him, there's a work that he will continue to do in us and there's an empowerment by the Holy Spirit that we are covered by. 
And there is a cleansing and a renewal that happens in that, in that relationship with him and in those moments. True worship of God is when we love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. It's when we prize God above everything else and put him first in our hearts. Amen. And we devote ourselves to him. That is worship. That is the awakening that should happen in our worship which goes far beyond a song, but I will speak more on that in a moment. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There is so much in this text that I sought the Lord on and I studied on and I prayed on, more importantly. And I didn't really want to speak on worship because having been a, uh, in previous roles in most of my life volunteering as a worship pastor or a musician and singer and some capacity, the last thing you want to do is speak on worship. Um, many years of doing that. But in studying this text, in praying to the Lord, and in seeking him on behalf of not myself, but the church, the body, this text began to take the form of worship. And then the Lord showed me the things that I want to share with you in this text this morning that I believe are going to touch your heart, change your mind, and empower your life. The first is this, Christ is your confidence. Christ is your confidence. Our confidence in true worship is the power of Christ's blood, yet oftentimes we dim the light of our worship by placing our confidence in ourselves. That'd be a good time for an amen. Just saying. How often do we place our confidence not just in what Jesus has done, but in our living, moving, and being? We start to become hyper aware of our own abilities, right? In our daily lives, we, our works, our good deeds, our talents, our giftings, our obedience, and even our knowledge about what the Word of God says can become a place where we misplace our, our worship, the expression of our devotion. It starts to rely a little bit more on how how great Daniel is, how much Daniel knows. Jesus has bought and paid for me, and, and I'm going to go serve at Joseph's storehouse, but I'm doing a great deed. The Lord is moving in me. Is this catching, catching a vibe with anybody? We, we will begin to misplace our worship, not, by the, not placing it on the blood of Jesus causes us to misplace it, and it becomes hollow. The danger of putting confidence on ourselves is that we will end up producing a self-focus and producing a hollow worship of God. Where we have a facade and we look the part, we sound the part, we might even walk the part, believe that we believe we're walking the part, but we've misplaced what gives our worship substance and depth, which is to re constantly remind ourselves that the chasm that laid between us was overcome not by our works, 
not by our deeds, not by our good habits, not by our knowledge, and not by the fact that I take great pride in my humility. I would tell you more about that, but my mom might squirm if I told the rest of that story. It involves uh, God using anybody, including a donkey. If he can use him, he can use you. But if I place my confidence in myself, I've neglected to remind myself of the real work that was done to give me the ability to live and move and have my being, and that's the blood of Jesus who bridged the chasm, came to us, and bought us back to himself. Our confidence, it says you can enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. How about we know holiness now because of the blood of Jesus, whereas before we did not? You know, you don't have to go all the way back to before the cross to get there. What about before you knew Jesus? You did not know holiness. Before Christ, you did not know righteousness. God did the work. Jesus did the work, and that has to be the foundation of our true worship. We're given access to approach the throne of God with confidence in him. And the second thing is this. In verse 21, it says that Christ is your covering. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart. The power in this that Jesus is our high priest is that under the old covenant, before Christ, the mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and it represented the place where the invisible God sat to dispense his mercy and his grace to sinful people. Only the high priest could enter, listen to this, only the high priest could enter the most holy place and approach the mercy seat. And only once a year, and to make atonement for himself and the sins of all people. That is not today. Praise God. Amen. Praise God that that is not today. Amen. I couldn't imagine once a year having to rely on a, a Pastor Jim, a Pastor Rick, a, a Pastor Leonard, or heaven forbid, Pastor Daniel, be the intercession for all of you to, to plead. You, I was talking to a church member after this, the first or second service, first service. He said, could you imagine being the guy that had to do that? <laughs> well, the rest of us are out here like, if he, if he doesn't get it, he's limping home. This guy is going to mess it up for all of us. I can't imagine having to rely on anyone but Jesus Christ. The old covenant was set up that way, but our new covenant is that Jesus sits at the throne of God. Amen. And because he sits at the throne of God, we get to draw near with confidence in the time of need to receive mercy and find grace under the covering of his priesthood, the covering of his righteousness. When he's, it says, uh, let, me, let me read it real quick. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. This is who your God is to you right now as your covering. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty 
on high. Your God did not go into retirement. He did not hit the recliner and say, my work is finished. He sits in power at the right hand of God. And he does three things. I'm going to change the order of these, but he does three things. One is to make intercession for you and I. That as the the war in our flesh and our spirit rages on, even though we know Christ and we've received the forgiveness of our sin and we have eternal life, there is this thing called life. And I know, we know, right? Like, especially this day and time, there's some conflict in our world. There's a war in our flesh and our spirit. But he sits there and he says, I know what they did doesn't reflect the character of what I paid for and what I gave them but Father, they're mine. Let me have them. They're mine. Withholding judgment from God, he sits in power as your covering to intercede for you to the Father in heaven. Is that not good? You are covered by the blood of Jesus and you are confident by the blood of Jesus. And the second thing that he is sitting there for is this, is to judge our worship. The worship of your life is more than a song sang in church. It's the playlist of all the things that you do from now till you stand before him. How many songs of worship could you play before the Lord before now and then? How many many things could you do that he designed for you to do versus you even want to do? Those things need to be set right little sidebar, but we'll go back to the main point. The playlist of your life is worship. Everything you do, everything you say, everywhere you go, what you declare, the God that you reveal to people. Some people don't know him like you do, and all they're going to know is you. So he sits there as the judge over what his blood paid for to test it and try it and make sure that it, it did what it was supposed to do, what he designed for it to do. And the last thing that he sits there for is to currently here and now receive worship and praise from his people for what he did. We're covered by a God who is alive and active, seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you, designing a destiny for you, and ultimately wanting to commune with you in worship and receive it. Again, not the moment, not the song. The fragrance of your life, the playlist of your life, the songs that you play in everyday actions, those are what he wants to receive and wants to be engaged in. Christ is your covering because he is established on his throne. You are covered by mercy and grace. Amen? Amen. The last thing is this. In verse 22, it says that Christ is your cleansing. So you have confidence to approach through the blood of Jesus. You have a covering by the priesthood of Jesus and the power that he possesses seated at the right hand of God. And then what he offers you in this text, according to the promises of his word, he offers you a renewal in that a cleansing 
an opportunity for you to be rid of an evil conscience of missing the mark. And that's what our sin is. Our sin is defined as missing the mark. And we do that. And sometimes we don't just miss the mark, but rather than coming to him, as the text says right here, let us draw near with a sincere heart. Rather than drawing near to him with a sincere heart in full assurance of the faith that we possess, we will be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience in our bodies, washed with pure water to cleanse away those things. Sometimes we get stuck in our life of worship, trying to arrange the song and arrange the playlist in a way that is pleasing to him, we miss the mark. But the text says to go to him and reveal it to him, draw near with a sincere heart. The word sincere means genuine, true, and honest. He knows you anyway. We know that, but then it doesn't always translate to, he knows me. If someone knows you, they already know. They know the problem before. Has anybody had a friend like that that could just sniff you out like that? Where you're like, I've got some stuff I'm dealing with. It's like, yeah, I know. How do you know? Because I know you. I know your verbiage changes, your habits change, your appearance changes, your countenance changes. Your, the worship of your life looks different when you're struggling. And as much as a friend might know that, the one who sticks closer than a brother, our God in heaven, really knows that. But instead of coming to him in a sincere heart, we wrap it under the covering of his righteousness and we, we just hold on to it. And I really feel and sense as I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed to the point of tears over this text for this church, for this body, that it's this moment right here today that God wants to do something for you. He's already done it, but he wants to make you aware of it. And it's the invitation to receive purification through the confession of your issue, problem, missing the mark, or sin. We do this, we're gonna open the altar. The altar is available. The prayer team's gonna make their way down to be available if you would like agreement on something or further prayer. And I've asked Caleb to sing a song of worship over us so that we might, in the spirit of worship, be cleansed by the process. Jesus understands and has conquered your weaknesses. Let me just, let me just comfort you real quickly. In Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He knows your struggle. He's lived your struggles. And he's here for you in them. We, we serve one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So therefore, let us draw near with what? Confidence. To the what? Throne of grace where he is seated, so that may receive what? Mercy and find grace to what? Help us in the time of need. 
Receive mercy and grace, not because you did something wrong. Receive mercy and grace to help you in your time of need because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to rid you of that burden, rid you of that weight. He wants to cleanse you as you come to him. So as Caleb sings and as he worships, would you just accept this challenge if you've got something? It says the Bible, the Bible says that the sin that we have so easily ensnares us sometimes and you just need to cut that thing off. Deal with it. Expose it, bring it into the light in whatever way you need. If it's on the altar, at the altar on your knees by yourself, come do business with the Lord, but don't do the thing that we always do. We stay in our seat We keep our routine. We say, my altar can go anywhere through the blood of Jesus. That's true. But the Bible also says, come to me, all who are heavy and weary, and get your rest. Come to me. He doesn't say, I'm going to come to you all the time. You never have to move. The Bible says, he draws near to those who draw near to him. The, the first step is on us. Let's get to him because he's already done the work, but the invitation for greater cleansing, greater healing, a life free of the, that sin is now. So as we sing and we worship, I challenge you, small or big, give it to Jesus. Let him cleanse you and come with confidence knowing you're already covered through love and mercy and grace. Let's worship.